Well, we've declared this summer the summer of freedom. We're claiming that amazing verse that the Apostle Paul challenged the believers in Galatia with. That's recorded in his New Testament manuscript called the book of Galatians in chapter 5, verse 1, where he said, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Let us never forget that it is not Christ's intent that we live in bondage, that we live in captivity, that we live in depression, that we live these downcast lives. Jesus died on the cross to set us free. But with that declaration, Paul offers an admonition, a warning. He says, therefore, stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. In other words, he says, don't you willingly re-enter that kind of life experience where you're under bondage, where, where your life is characterized by, by downtimes and characterized by a lack of joy. He says, don't enter into that experience again. The sad truth is, that's exactly what so many of us do, and we've all done at one time or another, even after we've trusted Jesus Christ and been liberated from all these different life dysfunctions, we often willingly re-enter them and re-enslave ourselves to them. So far, we've talked about breaking free from our garbage and guilt, breaking free from going back to those life uh, behaviors and those practices that we did before we were freed by Jesus Christ. And every time we go back and visit those things again, it produces guilt in a sense of alienation from God. God doesn't want us to go through this life feeling alienated from him. He wants to enjoy a wonderful, positive relationship with every one of us. Last week, Pastor Bob reminded us that we can break free from our religious ruts. You know, the truth of the matter is, is we can go to church for so long and so often that we fall into these religious ruts. I trusted Jesus when I was nine years old. It was on Palm Sunday. I remember it so well. And so I've lived my life in church. I haven't always lived the life that God wants me to live, but I've lived my life in church. And in after all these years, it's so easy to fall into some religious rut and just go through the motions and check the list off and sing the songs and say the prayers and read the scriptures, but, but there's no real relationship with Christ. And last week, Pastor Bob taught us how to break free from that kind of a thing so that we can have the kind of relationship God wants to have with us, and that's a real intimate living relationship, not a ritualistic relationship. Now today, we're going to break free from yet another life dysfunction. And this one is very prevalent in our lives. Whether we're believers or whether we're unbelievers or whether we're seekers of God. This one often is a secret part of our lives. One that, that only a few people really know about. And it's insidious in its nature. Today we're going to talk about breaking free from troublesome tantrums, breaking free from, from tempers, breaking free from anger. Fact of the matter is, is we live in an angry world, don't we? Statistics prove that the average man loses his temper six times a week. Statistics show that the average woman loses her temper three times a minute. 
No, wait, wait a minute, that can't be right. No, it's three times a day. Single adults express their anger twice as often as married adults. I guess that's probably because single adults are still talking to each other. (laughs) Men are more physical with their anger. But stats report that's changing too. Women are becoming much more physical with their anger. But here's the stat that really alarms me possibly the most. And that is that anger is likely to be expressed most frequently in the home. See, and that's the problem. That's why it's often a secret challenge. That's why it's often a secret dysfunction. Because it's one that's guarded by the family. And it's one that's guarded carefully. And, and, and so many believers will come to church and, and, and we see smiles and, and we see amens. How's everything's going? Oh, God's blessing me so much. And, and we get into this, this religiosity that we live in. But the truth of the matter is, is a lot of folks are struggling with this whole idea of anger and temper and its destructive influence in our lives. Proverbs, if you're new to the Bible, is in the Old Testament section of the Bible, and it's a manuscript that that is full of of, of wisdom. It it has wisdom sayings and wisdom stories, and if you want to become a wiser person, let me encourage you to read frequently from the book of Proverbs because these are divinely inspired words of wisdom. And in this great book of wisdom, in the 14th chapter, the 17th verse, it says, A quick-tempered man does foolish things. Now, if you want to break that down into modern-day thought and language, it would this. That all kinds of bad things happen if we don't learn to temper our tantrums. Now, let's start with a fundamental question this morning, and that's this. Is all anger bad? Is, it, is all anger bad? No, it's not. We, we see uh, uh, places in the Bible where God demonstrates his anger. We saw several times in the ministry of Christ while he was alive that he, he manifested his anger. So there being perfect, we know that all anger cannot be bad. So when is anger not bad? Well, anger can, can energize us. You know, I, oftentimes I'll, I'll watch on TV uh, some of these programs where... Uh, there's somebody who becomes a victim of some crime. And it's often someone who's like kidnapped or someone who's in a very uh, life and death situation. It's often their anger that kicks them into a, a different gear that allows them to escape this life-threatening situation. If you listen to the testimonies of, of some combat heroes, those who have been given the Medal of Honor or the Silver Star or the Bronze Star, and, and, and they give a testimony of, of that event that, that got them that, that prestigious award, Oftentimes, they'll, they'll say that they were afraid, they were scared to death, but they looked around, they saw so many of their friends being killed or wounded, and their anger kicked in, and their anger overcame their fear, and they were able to do some almost superhuman activity or, 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 or demonstration, and that's what won them the medal. On a far less dramatic platform, just think about sometime when you're working on a project, and you're just not getting anywhere. And all of a sudden, your anger kicks in. You go, this is ridiculous. I've spent too much time on this. And your anger kicks in, and what happens? All of a sudden, you get it done, don't you? So see, anger is there as a a force that gets us going. It's it's most primary purpose in us is that to flee or to fight in a dangerous situation. Anger also helps us express our negative feelings. 
You know, there's just certain times when things happen to us that, that aren't appropriate, that we don't like, that we don't enjoy, and, and we're not going to tolerate. And so sometimes our anger expressed in a healthy way demonstrates to people that, listen, this isn't acceptable to me. I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not going to tolerate this. This is not satisfactory, and we need to do something about it. It helps people understand it. This isn't, this isn't good. Parents, we, we sometimes, uh, we want to always talk with our children first and, and try to get them to understand why we have rules and regulations, but sometimes it just comes down to give them that mean look, right? So they get it, right? And they understand it. No, no, we're, we're not tolerating this any longer, this behavior. Anger also is a tip-off to us of how other people are feeling, what their emotional state might be at the time. You know, you, you, you come to your boss's door, and you're going to go in there, and all of a sudden, you hear that she's slammed down the phone, and she's yelling and screaming, throwing things around. It's probably not the time to ask for a day off or a raise, is it? <laughs> Guys, we've all walked home after, you know, a night, and we've seen our wife, and her, her brow is so furrowed you could plant a crop in it. Well, we know we better tread lightly in that time because we are tipped off to the fact that, that there's a very sensitive kind of environment we're walking into. So anger has some very healthy uh, purposes in our life. But here's the key. Ephesians 4.26, Paul declares to the group of believers in Ephesus, he says this, In your anger, do not sin. See, what Paul is suggesting here, and what he's declaring actually, is that our anger can go too far. Our tempers can go too far. And when they do, we actually cross the threshold into sin against God, sin against ourselves, sin against others. And so Paul says, do not let your anger, don't let your temper get to the place where it becomes sin. Now, a logical follow-up question to that is, when do our temper tantrums become sin? When do we cross that threshold? How can we know? Well, let me give you several symptoms that you're crossing that line. First one is when it's too frequent. There are valid reasons to become angry. God displayed his anger. Jesus displayed his anger. There are valid experiences where anger is the proper demonstration, the proper response. But if it's all the time, then something's out of control. Some people just live in a world of anger, and everything makes them angry, and they're angry all the time, and they're just an angry person, and they're exploding about everything. Well, that is a symptom that that person, that man, that woman, has crossed the threshold of an appropriate response of anger to anger becoming sin in his or her life. Our temper tantrums uh, become sin when they're too intense. You know, sometimes we just overreact, and the response is, is so much more intense than what the offense deserves. I remember... I had an aunt and uncle that I love with all my heart. They're with the Lord now. But they had this real anger temper thing in their house. And I used to hate going to the house sometimes just because I was afraid of what was going to happen. I remember one time we were sitting around the table, and, and uh, I was there, and I was probably, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. And we're having a great time, and we're telling jokes, and we're having fun, and we're relating as a family, and everything's going good. And all of a sudden, out of blue, my uncle just goes berserk, and he says, there's no butter on my corn. How come my corn's not buttered? 
what are you, an idiot? There's no butter on my corn. He's yelling and screaming at my aunt. I mean, he's yelling. And she goes back, she goes, well, butter yourself, you idiot. What are you, lazy? Don't you know how to use butter? Here's a knife. And she throws a knife at him and some butter at him. And they start going at it over the table over a piece of corn that doesn't have enough butter on it. And I'm sitting there going, I'm just traumatized. Well, you know, that's how we react sometimes. We, we, we react with these intense explosions of our temper and anger that are totally undeserved in the situation by the offense. And whenever that happens, when our responses, even when they're in situations where anger might be an appropriate response, but it's never an appropriate response to be over-intense with it. Because it's so damaging. It's damaging to, to us. I mean, it's been proven that these intense, frequent displays of temper and anger, you know, they accelerate our heart and our blood pressure, and, and there's all kinds of physical dangerous consequences of being an angry person. Also, it, it causes us to be viewed as a hot-tempered person. And what does that do? People kind of stay away from us, and we end up living in this world of isolation. And it's because people don't want to be near us because of our temper. It's damaging to others. Now, people with, with this, this frequent, intense temper and anger, you know, they, they leave a, a wake of blood behind them where they've just gone off on person after person. And there's no telling the lifelong impact that may have had on those people. And it's certainly damaging to the Lord. You know, we've got all these... Jesus fish on our car and all these bumper stickers about Jesus Christ. We're going down the road shaking our fist and cutting people off and road rage and all that kind of, you know. I mean, what does that say about God? See, it's a sin when it's too intense. It becomes a sin when those temper tantrums last too long. That, that verse, Ephesians 4.26, that says, in your anger, do not sin. It, it immediately after then says, do not let the sun set on your anger. It means don't let it last too long. You need to resolve it in an appropriate time. See, otherwise, it just keeps building up, and oftentimes we leave it unresolved. And, and, and those who we've, we've expressed our anger to, their defensive wall comes up, and pretty soon all communication breaks down, and relationships are a mess, and, and we have a horrible reputation at work and in our family and in society, and, and we have a horrible testimony for the Lord. It says, you know, it says, don't let these things go on. Resolve them. And it, also they turn into to sin when, when they lead to aggression, verbal aggression. Just yelling and screaming. You know, whenever we resort to that, when we're yelling and screaming, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to intimidate somebody into submission. We're trying to just be the alpha dog in the situation. And, and, and you're not, I'm going to control this situation. So we're yelling and screaming and verbally abusing people. And again, that kind of experience, you don't just walk away from. I've counseled people whose entire life course has been altered by a verbally abusive parent. At least the physical aggression. Punching walls and breaking things and throwing things around. Even pushing. Domestic violence. 
Probably every parent can remember a time where we lost it. When we didn't spank our child, we went off on them. See, that, that's sin. And of all these things, Paul concludes his thoughts on sin in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 30. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, remember, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And so we are forcing the Holy Spirit to be a part of all this temper and all this, this intense outburst of our anger and all the destruction that it brings to us and that it brings to others and that it brings to the name of the Lord. So therefore, he says, get rid of some bitterness. Is that what he says? No, he says, get rid of all bitterness. He says, get rid of all rage, all anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. He says, it has no part in the life of a believer. It is not God-influenced. It is not God-fostered. What he's saying, he's saying, I don't care how you package your temper. I don't care how you try to rationalize it. I don't care how you try to make it look better than what it is. He says, get rid of it. Because it's so destructive. So how do we do that? If that's our challenge, how do we break free from this dysfunctional stranglehold that is causing so much chaos in our lives and the lives of others around us? Well, if this is a serious, serious problem in your life, then you probably need to get pastoral counseling or, or, or professional Christian counseling to help you to develop a strategy. But to today, no matter where you are in this particular area of life, let's get you started with some things that will help. First thing is we've got to manage your mind. Here are some things that, that professional health care providers tell us that we can do. Manage our mind. I love this proverb again. Back to the book of wisdom. God just is so amazing when he reveals his eternal wisdom. In Proverbs 30, verse 33, God inspires Solomon to write this. For as churning the milk produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. Isn't that such a visual demonstration of where anger goes and what causes anger? Now, I realize some of you here today are too young to know what churning butter is. I think most of us understand that. But in the old days, people made their butter by putting the ingredients in a little cylinder, and then, then they had a little handle with a pump on it, and they would just sit around for, for however long it took to turn that liquid into a creamy, buttery substance. And so it would, they would just sit and they would all the time just up and down with that handle until, until they made the butter. Or twisting the nose, you know, just twisting that thing until it starts bleeding. He said, that's what anger is. He said, that's why we've got to manage our mind. Because the battlefield for anger is the mind. What do we do? We keep churning thoughts up. We keep churning the offense over and over again. And we make it into anger, and anger then produces strife. All these destructive things in our lives we've talked about. So how do we manage our mind? Well, they say that we need to resist destructive labeling. Now, what is that? That's when we take one or two characteristics about a person or a past experience with somebody, and we label them over that. You know, maybe we've had a couple bad encounters 
or uncomfortable encounters with our boss. And now we just label our boss a jerk. Just a jerk. And so anything now, any interaction is going to be preceded by this thought as you're looking at that your boss, you're a jerk. And so communication shut down and, and expectation of a of conflict uh, is, is going to be there. That's labeling, see? You know, why is labeling your husband? Oh, he's, he's lazy. I don't even ask him to do anything. He's never going to do anything. My wife, oh, she's just a nag, you know. And, and although that may be true at times, that has happened, we label the person, that's how they always are, and we just accept them. And so anytime we're going to interact with them, that's our starting point, and you know where it's going to go from there. So we need to stop labeling people, and we need to approach people fresh every day. What's the Bible say? As long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We need to own that. It's my responsibility, not theirs. It's my responsibility. We need to stop mind reading. What's mind reading? Mind reading is when we make a determination of what the person is thinking when they committed whatever offense we perceive they committed. And oftentimes, they've really not committed offense at all. We've just perceived they have. And we're reading their mind. I know why they did that. I know what you're up to. I know why. You know, we could be sitting at our desk at work, and one of our coworkers walk by and not say good morning or whatever. And all of a sudden, we go, okay, all right, I get it. I, you, know, we're, you're, we, you found out that I applied for the same promotion you did. And so now, now we're going to start this? Okay, buddy, game's on. Here we go. I can play this game too. And the person may have just had a lot of things on their mind, just, just walked by because they were, they were thinking about something else. But now, see, we've put into our mind what their motivation is. And we do that in so many different situations and scenarios of life. We assign a motive to somebody for why they responded or did not respond in any particular situation. And that what? It churns our anger. See, like Proverbs 30, 33, you know, that, that butter, we're churning that butter. Oh, I get it. Okay, I know where you're coming from. I know what you're up to. When it may be exactly the opposite and have nothing to do with what we're thinking. We need to eliminate magnification. Now, magnification basically can, can possibly be more simply described by that old cliche, don't make a what? A mountain out of a molehill. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. We magnify the, these insignificant, trivial offenses into these major criminal offenses against us. You know, maybe a new bride just got married and and, and her and her, her new husband have had a couple's little, little fights, you know, little disagreements. You know, as that's going to happen, right? How many have been married a while? That's going to happen? Yes, amen? Yeah, it, it continues to happen. And all of a sudden, she magnifies it. She, oh, I married the wrong person, and oh, I'm going to be one of the statistics of divorce, and oh, my life is over. You know, come on, you had a couple spats. It's going to happen, all right? Or maybe you don't get the promotion at work. And now you over-magnify. Oh, this company's not invested in me. They don't care anything about me. My life is ruined. I'm never going to get ahead. I'm going to be stuck where I am now for the rest of my life. And, and you churn it, and you get all mad about it, see? See, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. See, we need to manage our mind and make sure that we're not doing these destructive behaviors that cause us to fall into Proverbs 30, 33, where we're churning that butter. We need to utilize timeouts. Again, look what the book of wisdom says. This time, 
Proverbs 17, verse 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. What does that say? Here's the picture. It's, it's like breaking down a dam, and all of a sudden the water's coming through. And once that, that dam has been breached, there is no stopping that water from coming out. So that's what starting a quarrel's like. You're going to breach that dam. You're going to open an opening, and all kinds of horrible things are going to come flowing through that hole. So, so don't start the argument. That's what it's saying. James, the half-brother of Jesus, gives us wisdom on this. In his epistle in the book of New Testament, in his manuscript, uh, in James chapter 1, verse 19, James says, my dear brothers, take note of this. He says, so this is important. He says, stop. He says, write this down, basically, is what he's saying. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He said, you live your life that way. Life is going to go better for you. Life is going to go better for others around you. And life is going to go better for your testimony for Jesus Christ. So he says what? He says three things. Be swift to listen. Why? Because we don't always understand. How do we listen? What do we listen to? We're going to listen to the questions we're going to ask to get further information so we're not labeling, so we're not mind reading, so we're not magnifying, right? Slow to speak. Why? Because impulsively we just want to counterattack, don't we? Boy, someone offends us and boy, our instinct, our flesh just wants to rip them to shreds. Be slow to speak and what? Slow to become angry. This has been a challenge in my life. Can I be candid with you? I had a very unbridled temper early in life, and I really had to work on this. It came out two places. It came out with road rage, and it came out in athletics. I used to love to play basketball. You would never know that about me now, <clears throat> being the Pillsbury Doughboy up here. But I, I, was, I used to play thousands of hours of basketball, and I was pretty decent at it. But my temper came out on the court. And when I was playing games, I would yell at the officials. I, I probably had a technical foul in every basketball game I played in my life. I'd yell at the officials. I'd yell at the other players. I'd yell at my team members. I even threw a basketball at a fan in the stands who was heckling me one time. I had a horrible temper. Early in my life, after Stella and I got married, I was playing intramural basketball in, in Bible college, nonetheless, and I'm still doing these antics, you know. And she said to me, she said, listen, Stop. She said, something's got to change. She said, either you quit playing basketball or you get your temper under control because I'm embarrassed and I'll never go to another game you play in. Well, then the Lord used her to break my heart and I started working on this thing. And one of the things that, that I have found helpful as I've worked on it is taking timeouts. And I came across this as I was working on this area in my life this, this word of advice from, from a Christian counselor in a book that I read, and it says, when you feel like you're about to lose it and, and, and you feel all those things that, that tip you off to where you know, your blood pressure is, is rising and, and you're becoming angry, he says, use this statement, and l- let me encourage you to write it down exactly as it is on the screen. I'm beginning to feel angry, and I want to take a time out. Now, this is something... You either verbally say in those moments or you say in your mind. I'm beginning to feel angry and I want to take a time out. Now, it's very important that you verbalize it exactly as it's written because it's very strategically written. What's it say? I'm beginning to feel angry. 
That's ownership. I'm owning my own feelings. I'm having an issue right now. I'm having a problem. Now, whether or not you are really a part of what I'm feeling right now needs to be determined at a, at a later time. But right now, I'm feeling angry. I'm beginning to feel angry. I'm owning my own feelings. I'm taking responsibility. I want to take a time out. I don't, it's not that I have to take a time out. I need to take a time out. I can't talk to you right now. It's I want to take a time out. What am I doing? I'm making a choice now to do something productive instead of allowing my flesh to get control and doing something that is going to be counterproductive and damaging to myself, to others, and to God. Now I'm going to take a time out. I'm going to separate myself from what is causing me to begin to feel angry. Now, what do you do during the time out? Well, you leave the situation for at least an hour. You get away from it, if at all possible. And oftentimes you can use this expression to somebody and say, I'm beginning to, to feel angry and I want to take a time out. And now, what you don't say is, I'm really starting to get upset with you, and so I need to take a time out because now you're blaming them. Okay, you need to own it. Let them know where you are. Remember, that's one of the good purposes of anger is we let people know how we're feeling. Okay, leave the situation for about an hour. Don't drink or take drugs. Now, obviously, we shouldn't be over drinking or drugs, but sometimes we go and say, well, if I take a couple belts, it's going to settle me down. No, it's not going to help. It's, it's going to cause problems, or I'm going to go say, take a, a, a Xanax you know, or something like that. No, don't take any drugs. Don't go drinking. Don't do anything like that. Don't medicate it artificially because it's only going to exasperate the situation. Pray. Connect with God. And this is so powerful because you stop in the middle of this and, and you pray and you say, God, I'm beginning to feel angry and, and I, I don't want to, to go where I've gone before and I don't want to do anything that's going to be destructive to myself and I don't want to do anything that's going to be potentially destructive to somebody else. And, and God, above all, I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt my testimony for your name. Connect with God and, and let the Holy Spirit then start talking to you. Let the Holy Spirit start working in your life and, and, and bringing you that peace that God brings, that Bible calls the peace that passes understanding, to where in the situation normally you would explode and you would lose it and you would lash out. Well, now God's peace that passes understanding is going to help you to overcome that situation. Connect with God. Do something constructively physical if you can. You know, it's not running to the gym and working out, and maybe you can, and that might be a great option, or going for a jog, or going for a bike ride, or going for a walk, a brisk walk, but, but sometimes it's just, you know, uh, going back to your office and cleaning your office. Uh, maybe it's uh, doing the dishes at home, or doing the laundry, or doing something constructively physical to get your body working, to get, so, so you're not churning the mind, you're, you're preoccupied, you're, you're, you're stopping that, that making butter process up here with anger. And then ultimately, return and seek reconciliation with the person. And sometimes when you're leaving the person and you're saying, you know, I'm beginning to feel angry and I want to take a time out, uh, give them a timeline so that they know you're not just gaffing them off. And don't gaff them off because that's going to turn that butter in their mind. They're going to get angry. And, and seek reconciliation. Third, choose good company. And this is going to be so important in all of these life dysfunctions that we talk about. Again, going back to the, the book of wisdom, Proverbs 22 this time, beginning with verse 24. 
Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Now, what are we trying to do? We're trying to break free, aren't we? We're trying to live what Christ died to allow us to live. We're trying to live a life of freedom. But if we associate with people who are just as angry as we are, just as likely to explode and have a a temper tantrum as we are sometimes, then what's going to happen? Just the opposite's going to happen. How many times a group of wives get together and start complaining about their husbands, huh? Oh, that husband of mine, he's no good, and he's lazy, and he never does anything. And the other wife goes, yeah, mine's the same way. Boy, boy, they're churning all kinds of butter together, aren't they? Husbands do the same thing. Oh, that wife, she's such a nag, and boy, he's hanging around a guy who's a hot-tempered guy. Yeah, all wives are nags, and I don't know why we ever get married, and we should, you know. And it just churns it all up, see? And see, we, we hang around people with temper problems, and that's one of the struggle in our lives, and we're close associates with them. You guess which way that's what's going to go. You want you want to guess which way it's going to go? It's not going to go in the way you want it to go. It's not going to go in a healthy direction. It's going to be counterproductive. So we need to be careful. Create an accountability team. Get somebody to help you through these these tempestuous circumstances and events in your life. You know, maybe you're, you're taking a time out and it's not working for you. And, and so you need to call somebody. You need to call somebody on your accountability team and say, listen, I, I need your help right now. I, 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 I'm beginning to feel angry, and I'm taking a time out, but, but it's not subsiding, and I, I, I just need to, can, do you have a moment to talk me through this? And get somebody to talk with you and pray with you about it. Ecclesiastes, another Old Testament manuscript that has a lot of wisdom in it, chapter 4, verses 9 through 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls down has no one to help him up. See, we, we, we need to, to have people in our lives that, that help us to overcome these dysfunctions. James, again, the half-brother of Jesus, in his, his letter Chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Remember what I said about temper and tantrums and anger at the very beginning? I said this is often a secret dysfunction in the life of believers. We don't, because we know it's not good. And we know it's destructive. And, and we don't want our brothers and sisters to know about it because we're, we're fearful that they're going to judge us for that. And that we're going to expose ourselves in front of them. Well, James says that's exactly what we should do because it helps us. We need to confess our sins, get them out there in the open so people can help us, so people can pray with us and pray for us and so that we can help them in their dysfunction and pray for them. And together as a family, that's why it's the family of God, we help each other to be able to live that freedom that Christ died to cause us to live. So this may be a challenge in your life. But here's what I want you to know today. I don't, the, the object of today's message is not to make you feel guilty. The object of today's message is to, to declare to you that you can be free of it. That you don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to live with those destructive consequences that your temper and that your anger has characterized in your life in the past or maybe right now. You don't have to live that way. Jesus died to set you free from that. And, and he's given you tools that you can use so you don't have to live a life like that. And, and here's a start. Manage your mind. Utilize timeouts. Choose good company. Create an accountability team. Ending as we started with a wonderful word of wisdom from that book of wisdom's Proverbs. Proverbs 16.32 says this. 
Better a patient man than a warrior. A man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. You know, history has always loved the heroes, the conquerors, the George Pattons and the, the Dwight D. Eisenhowers and, and the Schwarzkopfs and, and all these amazing warriors who have won battles and won victories. Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar and all these warriors. We idolize them and we make them heroes. But here's, here's what God says. God says, you, you know who a bigger hero is than those famous generals and those famous warriors? And you can make that famous athletes or famous movie stars. Or he says, here's a real hero. A real hero is the man or the woman who can develop patience in his or her life. The person who can control their temper. That's the hero. That's someone that you should idolize. That's someone you should emulate. That's someone that you should aspire to be like. And so today, God's challenge to those of us who deal with this particular dysfunction is that be a hero. Be a hero to your spouse. Be a hero to your children. Be a hero to your coworkers. Be a hero to your friends. And break free from this destructive dysfunction of this frequent, intense, aggressive anger in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I pray today for victory in the lives of men and women here today. I know in just the number of people we have sitting here right now, I know I'm not the only one that deals with this. I know there are others out there that this is a significant challenge in their life right now. Well, God, help them right now to not be filled with guilt, but to be filled with hope. Knowing that this is one of the reasons you died on the cross. Yes, to provide us a way to eternal life, and that's the most important reason, that's the most important benefit of it to us. But you, it's for freedom that you've set us free. You don't want us to live in these consequences and in this isolation anymore. And God, you will empower us to break free. But we've got to take some steps to make that a reality in our life. And so I pray for all my dear friends today who are struggling with this issue in their lives. God, may this be the turning point. May this be the day when their anger is used in a productive way, in a way that says, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to live like this anymore. Enough is enough. Today is the day of change in my life. And then, Lord, let them help to use these things we share today as a springboard to freedom. Bless them, love them, anoint them. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you.